Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe it? Season four of Chewing the Gristle, the greatest podcast that ever was. Well, that might be bold, but I like it. What is Chewing the Gristle? Well, doggone it, we've got a whole bunch of internationally renowned musical guests, mostly guitar players, I believe. <laughs> Not that other people who play other instruments aren't musicians as well. But we're a little biased towards the six-stringed variety around here. Brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, where, of course, I've been doing videos for over 10 years. They have so many guitars, it'll tempt your mind, body, and soul. You better be careful. And our friends at Fishman Transducers, bringing you state-of-the-art accoutrements for amplifying your acoustic instruments to sound the best they possibly can. Doggone it. And let's face it, their fluence guitar pickups, especially those with the Gristletone moniker, are ass kicking. Let's get to it. Season four, Chewing the Gristle, we ride. This week, we shall indeed chew the gristle with a fine, fiery slide guitar player, Johnny Statula. You've seen him on stage with Dwayne Betts, the Almond Betts Band, and the Almond Family Revival, sporting the SG into the Super Reverb and causing mayhem. This week, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Statula. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the fourth time is a charm. We've been having some problems with technology. Not that that should concern you, dear listener, but I'm here with the mighty Johnny Statula. Finally, Johnny, we get to speak without latency and malfeasance. Yeah, Greg, it's good to be here, and uh, let's get let's get this over with, right? <laughs> <laughs> Every time you start telling your story, it's like I really want to hear it. It's just like it sounds like you're you know, you're being molested by a vocoder. Well, stranger <laughs> things have happened. <laughs> so again, for the fourth time, I was saying uh, what a perfect fit you are for both you know the Dwayne Dwayne Betts band and with the Almond Family Revival. I was just curious how that all came together for you and how you first encountered Dwayne and all that other kind of sweet stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, well, Dwayne and I, uh, Dwayne was living out here in LA. That's where I live. And uh, we met mutual friends, you know, jamming with different bands and different friends and sitting in together and always had this sort of immediate uh, chemistry playing together. And we had talked about doing a band for quite some time. Um, a number of things happened. Uh, we, we were starting a band and then uh, Dwayne got the gig with Dawes and, and left and went and did that for a little while. We stayed in touch the whole time. When he got back, we kind of picked up where we left off. And, uh, you know, he was just kind of getting his life together. And uh, when the time was right, we, we started a band. And uh, around that time was uh, around the time that Greg Allman had passed away. And, and Devin was uh, taking a a break from the road and you know about six months nine months went by and he was getting um getting the bug to get back out there and get on the road again and he booked this huge world tour for the Devin Allman project and he invited Dwayne to come out as a as a guest you know uh to open the shows and Dwayne had said you know can I bring my guitar player you know and I I, I had known Devin because we we jammed together uh you know, 10 years prior to that, you know, when, when he would come through LA, we'd have mutual friends and I ended up 
getting up and playing with him. And we always, we knew each other. So uh, it was kind of a no brainer. So Dwayne and I went out and uh, opened the shows for Devin that year. And uh, a lot of jamming happened and that sort of just evolved into what became the Almond Betts band. Wild. Yeah. So what, what is your um, background in terms of, I mean, you know, obviously you're the perfect fit for what they're doing. When, when were you first kind of introduced to that, you know, school of music, shall we say of the, uh, you know, the Dwayne Ullman, you know, uh, Derek trucks school of slide goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, I started playing guitar when I was 12 years old. Uh, I, I wanted to play before then, you know, I had little toy guitars and things like that around the house, but I got real serious when I was 12. I got my first guitar and that was in the late eighties, you know? So it was like a Kramer striker, <laughs> you know, and I had the, I had the whammy bar and I think the, the guitar actually came with a little fender amp, but I wanted distortion. So I got rid of that thing and got a PV, you know? <laughs> so and that's kind of like where the guitar playing sort of started. And then, you know, once we got to the nineties I was sort of, uh, you know, coming of age musically and when I was in high school, and uh, was really drawn to uh, the Allman Brothers and and Leonard Skinner and the Grateful Dead and all those bands that we get exposed to at, at that age. Right. And uh, lucky for me, the Allman Brothers had reunited right around that time uh, with uh, Warren Haynes and Alan Woody right. and Johnny Neal. And so I immediately, and my father listened to that kind of music. And so it was just around the house and... Uh, my ear went straight to uh, to hearing Warren playing slide guitar, and you know, and I had known the earlier Almond Brothers music, but I kind of was getting into it at that point and going backwards, and it, you know, wanting to learn how to do that, how to play that kind of music, you know. And shortly after that, um, I mean, Government Mule came out with their first record. Uh, uh-huh. I remember uh, Derek Trucks Band, a record called Out of the Madness. I got that CD, and when I first heard that slide tone, I think it was Preaching Blues, the first song, the Sunhouse tune on that record, and just the the primal sound of this loud, you know, amp. I didn't know what it was. I mean, it just really, it really kind of grabbed my attention, and I started just digging into that music and trying to learn how to play it. I just loved it so much. Indeed. You know? Well, it's so- turned out pretty good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's still a work in progress. Um, you know, that's that's kind of where it all kind of came together. I think for me, I was I was always uh, really drawn to blues-based music. Anything that was blues-based, even the, growing up on the hard rock stuff, it was always the blues stuff that that kind of pulled me in. You know, when I heard Led Zeppelin, when I heard ACDC, it, it's blues music, you know, right. just played loud. Or Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, that band could swing. They were a loud blues band, you know, like right. it is. Um and uh, and then, as cheesy as it may sound, seeing the movie Crossroads with Ralph Macchio, sure. you know, <laughs> yeah. But hearing Ry Cooter's slide guitar in that, you know, the, all those things just kind of culminated in this uh, love for everything that was basically Dwayne Allman. Right is what I came to realize. It was all that's you know not that Dwayne invented that, but he he had taken what he learned from Jesse Ed Davis. Mm-hmm. and Elmore James and his love for and making the guitar sound like a harmonica or making right. it sound like a, a vocal and that whole school of music that he sort of uh elevated and it's still inspirational today you know right. I, 
it's amazing to me. And that, that whole thing is what I really got into and dug my, dug my teeth into. So, so in, in high school, as you were getting into this music, did you have many, uh, many people your age that kind of were sympathetic to what you were into or you're kind of a lone wolf at that point? I was always a lone wolf in high school, but you know, (laughs) what's interesting. It was that I, uh, sorry about all this beeping is my phone's blowing up right now. The, uh, um, I was always into, uh, you know, in high school, like it, the time was, was heavy metal when I first kind of got into, you know, high school, but then, you know, the, the Seattle music scene kind of took over bands like Alice in Chains. I loved Alice in Chains. And, you know, I was listening to my first year of high school. I was listening to Megadeth, you know, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but by my like second year of high school, I was, I was getting into uh, bands like Leonard Skinner and the Almond Brothers, you know, and then by my junior year, you know, I got a girlfriend and she was a deadhead and I didn't know anything about the Grateful Dead. And so that was like a whole new world of music. Um, and so it all sort of kind of came together. And, uh, you know, I, I was never listening to what the crowd was listening to. I think, I mean, it was, I was into contemporary music that was out hip hop music and all this old music that I was just, you know, listening to on my own time and hiding in my bedroom and, and learning, figuring out how to play it, you know? Now, were you the kind of guy that like played in jazz band in high school and stuff, or did you not partake in any of the kind of school oriented musical ventures? Uh, I, I, I avoided all that stuff. Uh, I played football for the, <laughs> for the first like two years of high school, but I, I got beat up so bad that I, I just, uh, I gave that up and, you know, decided, I think I'm going to play, be a guitar player. Cause you know, everybody started getting, everybody's getting bigger and bigger and just kicking my ass. So <laughs> um, I let that go and just kind of focused on music, but it was really about music. I wanted to play. I wasn't, I wasn't too interested in being in, in, in the, you know, school band or anything like that. I want, I, I had my own bands on the side and we were in, you know, my garage, my parents' garage and we right. were, we were playing, you name it. I mean, all everything from classic rock to very hard rock of the time. And, you know, um, all I cared about was making music. I didn't really care about what it was, I guess. It's just whatever was in- inspiring, whatever gets you going, you hit record on the, the cassette tape and record your band in the garage. You know, that's, that's what we were doing. So at what point did you realize that that's what you wanted to do come hell or high water? Uh, you know, I think it was always in there probably when I was 12 years old, to be honest, right. you know, like I, it was kind of, I remember that moment of like, you just kind of make that decision. Like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. Uh, it was a long journey to get to the point where uh, I was able to do it um, full time. You know, that, that didn't really come along until many years later, until more recently, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, the last five years that I've been able to get out there and kind of, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get out there and play for people. And, and, you know, I was always making music and doing it kind of locally. Um, but it's a big step to be able to do it. Um, and when your life depends on it, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So you gotta, you know, it's a lot of hours, a lot of hours go into to getting to that point. And, um, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. It's it's been, it's been an amazing journey. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an excellent um, ensemble that pays tribute in a very meaningful way to uh, 
to some of my favorite music. You know what I mean? And it's, and that's a hard thing to do. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's hard to, because we're, we're in an age of, of, let's be honest, there's tribute bands everywhere with, you know, that are, that are doing it for, you know, some people love the music. Some people see an opportunity. Some people have an, uh, you know, this seems all across the board to just be a very, very genuine and, um, you know, organic approach to just play, celebrating the music. And they just happen to be the sons of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know you, I, it, it's been a, um, a real blessing to play with all the cats in the band. Everybody's, you know, way down to earth and just good musicians. You know, I feel right. like, um, I mean, I felt when I was younger, I was like, man, if I was born in a different generation, I would have been in the Almond Brothers. I, that's the band I would have wanted to be in. You sure. Know? And me and a, a thousand other guitar players out there. Sure. Um, but to see it kind of come to a point where it's like a whole new world that we're living in and there's a new generation of people playing music and, you know, to pay tribute to that music is, is very special to me. I, I love it so much. There's, it's, you know, it's a legacy and you want to honor that, you know, right. I understand what it is and I respect what it is. And I just try to do my best to kind of move that needle forward and expose new people to music, make people happy that they want to hear it. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, I mean, I think, uh, and I can only speak for, for myself, but with, with Dwayne and our band that we have right now that we're, we just put together, um, we just made our first record and we have a lot of music that we want to make that's us, you know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Yep. That's that's what we're really after. That's the real that's the thing we're we're chasing down right now and I'm so excited about that. You know, I, um it's an honor to play Almond Brothers music, but it's not something that you aspire to do for your entire life. You sure, want, absolutely. You want to pay tribute to it, do it the best you can and um and, and kind of make your own mark musically. I think that's the goal, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you were, you know, at what point did you like the SG is the thing? You know what I mean? I mean, obviously it's, it was, you know, Dwayne played one, of course, Derek played one. I mean, I always think about how, you know, uh, some of my favorite tones of all time were cream tones. And of course that was Clapton's SG and, you know, yep. Frank Zappa, uh, you name it, uh, Frank Marino, for God's sake, you got Frank's. early Santana, the whole <laughs> nine yards, right? Tony Iommi, uh, Angus yes. Young, uh, you keep going, right? I don't think I ever decide. I never kind of made the decision. I, I'm going to be an SG player, but it's it's kind of a, a funny joke that I became one. My, my favorite, uh, my first favorite guitar hero was Angus Young when I was okay. five years old, you know, or something, you know. And uh, I love Black Sabbath. I love Tony Iommi. I loved all this. I always loved SGs, the people that played them, Santana playing it, or uh, right. uh, Eric Clapton, all these great guitar players you mentioned. Um, and there was a point where I had two guitars. I, I had a Les Paul and I had a Strat, right? And I felt like it was just like this hardest decision to make. Like, which guitar am I going to bring to the gig? I'm not the kind of guy that likes to switch between a lot of guitars, you know? Sure. And I could never make up my mind and it kind of drove me crazy. And then I, once I started playing an SG, to me, it sort of bridged the gap between right. those two guitars, you know? like It's it's the most fendery of the Gibson guitars. It's neither this <laughs> nor that. It's its own thing. But you get the you get that humbucker tone. You get the the, the sound that I wanted. Uh, the guitar's a little lighter, you know, right. than the Paul. So, you know, uh, there's this great access to the neck. It kind of, it just opened up these things that, um, 
that I really gravitate towards. And uh, at this point, it's just, you know, it's not even a choice. It's just, I just play the same guitar all the time. Just right, right, right. It sounds great, you know? <laughs> so, you you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, when I was younger, you know, I had like one, you know, maybe two guitars. You had your main guitar and your spare, you know? And, yeah. and, and then when you were kind of going to go in a different direction, you got rid of those and then got a new one of the the one you wanted to use and maybe a spare of that one. Yeah. And then you get, you know, years go by and you just start accumulating and then you become part of this, you know, nonstop kind of obsessive compulsive thing of, oh, I think I'll buy, you know, I'm only going to buy three guitars this year. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? It's this constant accumulation. Um, how have you avoided that? <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm like the rarest example of a guitar player that, uh, I've been playing guitar now for maybe 35 years, you know, and I, I think I have, I own maybe five guitars. Oh, yeah, total. You should, you should, you should have a halo at this particular. <laughs> I bought my most recent purchase was a, um, a Les Paul that I bought at Wildwood. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And it was a consignment guitar. It's, it's a historic makeovers. Oh, I and, saw that one out there. I, I, I hadn't played it, but I saw it on their website. Oh man. It's killer. It came with like patent number pickups and central lab pots and the black beauty caps and Brazilian rosewood fingerboard. I mean, I fell in love with it. That guitar is the closest, you know, that I, I've played to a, I played several bursts, you know, um, lots of them on the road. And it's the closest thing I've found that's not going to cost you a house to buy it. Right. 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 You know? Right. So it's, it's within that, that 5% tolerance of, you know, right. Or whatever it's close, you know? Um, but I remember I, I, I went and got, well, I was visiting with family. Uh, my wife's father lives in, uh, in Denver and we were in Colorado and, he loves to to go guitar shopping with me. We go look, you know. Right. But the day I bought that guitar, like my wife was kind of like, I mean, she couldn't believe. She's like, "Did you so? Did you buy a guitar?" I was like, "Yeah, I did." You know. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't happy about it that day, but you know, it's like I don't. She understands. Like I just don't buy a lot of guitars. You know, like when I find one that I really love, I'll grab it. But I've got an SG. I've got a Les Paul. I've got two Les Pauls. I have another one that uh, my parents gave me as a graduation from college. I still have that, you know, nice guitar you're going to keep forever. It's a Les Paul standard. Um, and that's it. And then I've got a, a 1953 Gibson LG one acoustic mm -hmm. with the DeArmond nice. pickup, kind of the lightning yep. Hopkins sort of thing. Um, I have a early sixties harmony Stratotone. That's a great with a gold foil pickup. Great for slide. Uh, yep. And that's it. That's all I got. Well done. I need, yeah, I need more guitars. <laughs> the problem is I kind of regret, my, my regret is that like, I remember when you used to be able to buy guitars, you can't buy them anymore. They're, yeah. they're so expensive and hard. They are really expensive. Yeah. yeah. It's gotten like out of control. Like, you know, there was a time when I'm like, I feel like maybe I should have stocked up a little bit more, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, they're, you know, I remember I, I I always had a thing for getting Les Pauls or wanting to get a Les Paul. Yeah. And um, you know, when I was doing a ton of Fender stuff, you know, I could I could afford to get one, but I was just like, 
why am I going to spend all this money to get a guitar? I spend all my time on the road and, I, and I'm not going to play it while I'm on the road because I'm playing all the Fender stuff. And a lot of times right. I was going to Europe or whatnot, I would take one guitar and it would be a Tele or a Strat or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, and so I had it in my mind. I was like, yeah, around around three grand, you can get a really good custom shop Les Paul. And those days are gone, daddy gone. Yeah, I remember those days too. And it wasn't that long ago. Exactly. You know, uh, I mean, the just the, the gear in general, I, it's a conversation that's fun to have. But I, I remember, disti- I don't use any guitar pedals. I've kind of weaned myself off them. You know, I've got boxes and boxes of them, though, that I've sure. had for the years. And I distinctly remember thinking, you know, when the Klon came out, I remember in the 90s, and I was like, I remember thinking, there's no way in hell I'm going to pay $400 for a guitar pedal. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Man, just as an investment, I should have bought 10 of them, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day. um, We were talking about amps and when I was. You know, I I grew up in a family where you know my brother and my sisters were into music, but they weren't. None of them played, and no one in my area that I was friends with were had older siblings that knew yeah. about gear. So I didn't really know the difference between tube amps and anything until till later on. You know, sure. yeah. And uh, but when I finally got hip to it, I was probably in my late teens. Yeah. Uh, and a, a buddy of mine was like, "Well, Super Reverb's the amp you got to get." I mean, this is nineteen eighty. Uh, you know, six, right? 85, 86. And, um, and we, and these guys have been playing them for years. They were their amp for, I mean, they didn't use them because Steve, Ray, they had been using these amps forever. Right. Right. And, uh, like you got to get a super reverb and it, back then you could buy them all day long for 250 bucks. No oh, yeah. one knew what they were. They didn't give a shit. You know, it was like Mart, especially back then it was, you know, marshals and, and, uh, racks of stuff and Mesa boogies and so on and so forth. No one cared about super reverbs. And then I remember just, you know, I would buy them as I would need them and get rid of them and get new ones and yada, yada, yada. And then at some point they were two grand and then they, and then it just kept on going up. And then they went down a little bit when kind of the, uh, the thought of, well, you really want a, a deluxe or a Vibrolux because they're not as loud. And then those have maintained a ridiculous, uh, value, uh, totally but supers right. have come down a little bit, but so when did you get hip to the supers and, and, uh, and that kind of thing? Uh, okay. Well, I remember, let's see the, my very first recording session ever. It was in the, sometime in the mid nineties, probably. And, uh, I went into the session and the, the engineer, I had this like fender solid state amp mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it escalated pretty quickly for me. He was like, he's like, you, you're going to, you're going to want a tube amp. And he's like, we got one. And so, and so I used the the tube amp in the studio for the recording, completely fell in love with it immediately. Like went out the next day and I think I bought a, a PV 410 tube amp, you know, now that was a cool amp though. That probably the classic, right? The classic, the 410 yeah. classic. Yep. Yeah. That, and that was my first tube amp, but maybe six months later, I'm in another recording session with that amp. And, uh, a good friend of mine, engineer that was running the session, uh, he's like, he's like, you know, John, you, you really need a super reverb, you know? So like you need, you need a fender. It's, it's better than the PV. Like, okay, let's check that out. So I ended up getting that amp from him. I think it was maybe 600 bucks at the time, you know? Right. And, uh, and so I started playing super reverbs and God, I mean, 
lugging those things up a flight of stairs at the end of the night. <laughs> right. Yeah. Gigs. Uh, to me, it was like playing music was never what you got paid for. It was yeah. all on a super reverb up a flight of stairs. That's what you're getting paid for, you know? Um, and I've just been playing them ever since, really. I got a um, a Vibrolux that I is my main app at home, you know? Mm. Uh, it's a late 60s Vibrolux reverb. It belonged to Stephen Bruton. Great. Guitar. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. And I picked that up. Um, you know, maybe 20 years ago at Westwood Music. And that's kind of been my local club amp, you know. I love Vibroluxes. Yeah, local gigs and uh, um, any recording session, I bring that thing along with me. And it's great. It's It sounds amazing. Uh, you can't beat it. You really can't beat it. But, Absolutely. But for live, for, for the shows we're doing, I want to move as much air as I can. So it's it's all about super reverbs. And I have a concert also that I've been I've been using on the tour. That's a, it's a 1964. It's a blackface concert. Nice. So do you ever run both of them together? Only for uh, shits and giggles, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tend to run, I, you know, for me, it's like, when I say I don't use pedals, it's, it's because to me, it's really about the connection between the guitar and the amplifier. And uh, I tend to run the amp wide open and use, use the knobs I can, you know, but I like the, adding an extra amp or anything, you're kind of changing the dynamic of, of that interaction between, I think the amp is, is just as much part of your instrument, you know, as mm -hmm. guitar and your overall sound. So it's really just trying to get a real pure sound one amp. Um, I think at one time at sound check, I daisy because we, if you've ever seen the almond bets band, there's super reverbs across the, right. Front. Everyone's using them. That's all my fault. So when, when, ah. I, when I met Dwayne, I had a super reverb and I was like, man, you really need to get a super, you know? And, um, shortly there, I was going to give him one of mine and shortly thereafter, Derek trucks gave him a super reverb, one of his. Uh -huh. So now we had supers and then we went out with Devin and Devin wanted a super, you know? So like, it's kind of, it's kind of grown and I've gone through so many on the road that I, uh, when I get a new one, I'll sell it to one of the crew members or something. The, the one I was using, ah. but they, 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 they've been sticking around. So now there's even more supers. <laughs> so, now do you, do you modify them at all? Like speakers and stuff like that or not really? Um, I try not to, uh, mess with them too much. I really, for a super reverb, I like the CTS Alnico, um, speakers, which were probably later sixties, early seventies. Um, I, right now I have a 64 that's a pre CBS and I had a set of those speakers. So I, they're old speakers and they're not correct for that year, but I put them in the app, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, generally speaking, I, I blow a lot of speakers. So, um, whenever I get something, you know, on the road, it's always about like keeping the damn thing working. You know, that's, right. that's, the, that's the name of the game. So occasionally like with my concert, um, I was blowing speakers left and right and uh warehouse um, uh, hooked me up with, with some of their speakers. And uh, I kind of just put them in as a, a temporary fix and I fell in love with them. So they just, they stayed in the amp. I love them, you know? Awesome. So, but I don't, I'm not out there like trying to like, man, I really got to try this speaker because of something I read on a, you know, I, I, right, 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 right. You know, like yeah, it's, but, give me this thing. You know, I, for me, it's just kind of like you try it, and if it works and you like it, then roll with it. If you don't, pull it out. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. The super I have left is a, uh, it's a silver face, 
And I think I, I, you know, I, I don't even know what year it is. I got it not all that long ago. Yeah. Uh, I had black faces back in the day and then I sold them all. Then I had a reissue super that I used Then I sold that. And then I bought this one. Actually, you know what? It's probably been about 10 years ago, uh, which of course seems <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for me, isn't that long ago. And, um, and it's got the four D series JBLs in it. So it weighs a ton, but God, it sounds awesome. Glorious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's a, a part of it is the, the, a lot of the newer speakers, those big magnets, they, and the super reverbs are pretty heavy amps already, but with the, the right. older speakers, they're not, they're manageable, you know? Right. But you get these new magnets in there and it's like, wow, this thing's like a, or, you know? Yeah. Forget about it. You're going to kill your back. So you right, know, exactly. It's, it's a workout. It's a workout. So it's your own personal trainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you? How much stuff do you do in open E, and how much are you in standard tuning when you're when you're playing with the band? I'm a hundred percent standard tuning. Oh, you are okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I love playing in open E, open G, open D, all any kind of open tunings, and um, kind of what happened was I would. Uh, I got tired of bringing two guitars. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. It's not a lot. Some some guys will bring a whole vault of guitars, but for me, like two is too many. So, um, I would just kind of relearn these licks that I would learn, and and they're sure. really out for you in the open tunings and kind of relearn them in the, in standard tuning. And that's generally speaking, that's that's what I do, um, and just kind of stick to that. Occasionally, I'll do something like a little bit of a hybrid where I'll just tune like one string. Sure. Yep. I might tune my E string down to D, and then the top four strings are an open G tuning, and it really gives you that flavor. Exactly. Yeah. You know? I don't do this, but I've tried it, and I know Jack Pearson does it, but he'll take a standard tuning guitar and he'll tune the G up to a G sharp. Right. Exactly. And you've got the, the, the open E kind of a thing happening. So exactly um, there's little like workarounds yeah i i understand i mean it's 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 kind of a funny thing because it's it's more work to learn how to do all that stuff in standard tuning but it's out of laziness of bringing another guitar <laughs> i mean you know it's not yeah kind of i was because i was the same way i was like i don't want to bring another guitar and and, and have it tuned to open e i'm just going to do everything in standard tuning. So yeah. I, I can totally relate. I did that for yeah, the longest I mean, time. Open tuning sound beautiful. There's, there's definitely something that they do that you'll never get with. I try to emulate little parts of, of right. what you get out of an open tuning with a standard tune guitar. Um, also part of it was, I, I, I think I made the decision when I got into slide, I was like, just pick a tuning and just stick with that. And I yeah. already knew too much in standard to really kind of, you know, like Derek Trucks plays exclusively in open E. Right. You know? But you really have to build your basic vocabulary in that, you know, you're right. not gonna, you're not going to make that shift, that transition after you've been playing guitar for 10 years. You know Absolutely. I mean? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So when you guys are, um, when you're out and about, how much interaction do you have with like the old I mean, has Dickie Betts come out to the gigs and hung out? I mean, have you interacted with with the, any of the old almond uh, guard, if you will? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, everybody comes out once in a while. Um, Dickie's been to a few shows. I got to tell you that it is completely surreal to play Jessica with Dickie sitting side stage watching. Right. You know, I mean, it's at that point you're just trying to 
do it justice, you know, and, right. and make it beautiful and just do this thing. But, um, but Dickie's always been really supportive. Um, uh, you know, uh, I've spent quite a bit of time with, uh, at his house with, with Dwayne and we, we wrote our whole new record over there. And, um, you know, I've seen JMOs come out to shows mm-hmm. and, um, lot, pretty much anyone from that circle of family, you know, um, they come out and hang. And, uh, I've been fortunate enough to play a lot of the, a lot of those old guitars too. Oh, okay. How's, and how's that? Any, anything stick out? Totally. Uh, I've, I've found the common thread between Dwayne Allman's gold top, Dickie's gold top, which is now red. Right. Um, both of those guitars have very, very thin necks, like an SG. Oh, interesting. And they're both 57s, you know, um, they're, they're, uh, I've, I've, most of the Allman Brothers guitars that I've played have a thinner neck, which is kind of, kind of interesting to me. And that's something I gravitate towards. I like the, the SG sort of profile, the thinner profile. Um, but they've all been, you know, pretty, pretty lightweight, just what you would expect. And you play right. notes and you're like, man, God damn it. That's the sound. Um, more recently I, I was playing, uh, Dwayne Allman's Dobro. Oh, okay. You know, um, and, uh, we were working on some demos at, at the house and well, I needed a Dobro and I was like, that's in the hallway. So I was like, well, I guess I'll use that, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but, uh, what, a, I mean, you hear the first couple of notes, it's amazing to me, the, um, you know, it's always about the player, of course, but, but these guitars have such a personality to them. As soon as you hear the first notes, you're like, God damn, that sounds just like the record. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. It's um, crazy. Yeah, so it's been it's been an honor to be around uh, some of those guitars and and be able to to play them and use them. You know, uh, there's so I don't even know where to start. Three thirty fives, Les Pauls, all kinds of good stuff. You know, that is wild. Yeah, I have I have yet to play any of those old guitars. I've seen that that because the the gold tops at the Big House Museum, right? I think it splits its time between the big house and its new owner. So, oh, okay. okay. Else bought it. And uh, I've been kind of a little unlucky on my my trips to Macon the last couple of years where I'm there when it's not there. It bumps ah. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do have, a, I have some great memories with that, with that guitar. And kind of a funny story was I was, I never break strings. I really, I just don't, I think I broke one guitar string in like four years on the road. And, uh, to the point where I, not that I'm bragging about it, but I like, I'm like, I never break a string, you know? Right. And we were in Macon and, um, this was a couple years ago and I broke a string. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the te- our tech at the time, I, I kind of looked over at him and I had a broken string. And so he, the gold top was there. Um, Richard Brent from the big house had brought it down. So we're like in the second or third song on the set. And he runs the gold top out me out to me as, as the spare, you know? So, ah. <laughs> so I used the gold top in a in a kind of an impromptu moment, and that was that was pretty amazing. That's a pretty good spare. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Yeah, you know, it's just so wild to think. I mean, back then those guitars were just you know ten year old guitars for Dwayne, and yeah. you know, yeah, it's like oh, it's a used guitar. <laughs> yeah, right. If you wanted a um, if you wanted a Les Paul, well, I guess they stopped making them. You know, so you you got a fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty nine, or a sixty, pretty right. Much. You wanted a humbucker Les Paul in 1969. That's what you you just went and got one. You know, right? It's so, crazy. Only to think now that there is you know 
the value of a house. And in some states, in yeah. some some cases, a pretty substantial house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bigger than my house, man. <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Cock Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. I, I just I was thinking about when you're when you were saying about, you know, you know, Dickie's gold top. And I know that when you listen to when I was a kid, I always there was pictures of of Dwayne and Dickie. And of course, I think in is in the vinyl, I think there's a picture of Dickie with the gold top. And I always just assumed it was the gold top on on live at the Fillmore. And then I saw some footage on YouTube mm-hmm. where Dickie was playing an SG and it sounded like that was the sound. And do you do you know which what what was the one he was using? And so it's kind of debated and I've had some conversations about it. Um, so the, the footage on YouTube, that's not the Fillmore show that was recorded. Right. Um, and Dickie was playing an SG on the YouTube video. That was his guitar. Um, in 1971, at some point, Dickie gave that SG to Dwayne Allman to use as for his slide for the slide. Cause Dwayne would just tune between songs. Right. And I think, I mean, as the story goes, Dickie got tired of hearing him tune his guitar, or, you know, between <laughs> between songs or something like that, you know. And so he, they, they just kind of, they're real communal with their instruments. They would just kind of share, I guess. And, and Dickie gave that to uh, Dwayne. And the conversation I had with Richard Brent from the Big House was that, because I've always wanted to know what guitar is on Statesboro Blues off the Fillmore record. Is right. That, what is that, you know? And he, Richard claims it's the SG, you know. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I, to me, it kind of sounds like a Les Paul. I don't know. It's yeah, I, I would agree with you. There's some gray area there, but he's he swore that he saw some video footage. So there's there must be some footage that's out there. Hopefully, it, it sees the light of day at some point. So, you know, one of my favorite Dwayneisms is is the version of Statesboro Blues from from the Atlanta pop festival, the version that made it on the, uh, when I was a kid, my brother had this, I think it was a three record set and it was a compilation of the Atlanta pop festival yeah. and, uh, Isle of white. And okay. there, and, and there were only two Allman brothers tunes on, on that particular collection. One of them was Statesboro blues. The other one was whipping post, right. but Dwayne was especially, uh, uh, shall we say zesty that particular day sounded yeah, magnificent. He- very fiery, right? I mean, it's so cool to hear uh, the different versions and how improvisational that band was. And it was never anywhere close to the same twice. Oh, absolutely. It's all over. You know, um, I really love uh, the the Stony Brook show. I don't know if you've ever heard that CD. Uh, there's a uh, version of blues. I think it's called Stony Brook. Okay, I'll check it out. I, I've, I've heard most of the stuff that's online, but I, I just can't think about the top of my head. The blue sky on that Dwayne solo on blue sky goes to like the stratosphere. It's unbelievable, you know? Awesome. Uh, and uh, it's just kind of mind blowing. I mean, I, I, th- I don't think Dwayne Allman played blue sky more than eight, 10 times. Live. Right. Right. You know, a thing I wanted to ask you about, which is, which is an interesting thing as I'm, you know, uh, preparing to go down and join the boys for a couple of these shows and play those songs, you know, songs I've played 
over the years, I mean, played along with records. Obviously, when I was a, a wee lad, I you know, live at the film or I mean, as freshman in high school, I think I started playing along with that record and and various different things. But it was one of those things where I never really learned all the parts. You know what I mean? I just wanted to do the jam. You know what I mean? I mean, right. I knew the tunes per se, but you know, and I was never in a. Uh, I think there was a time where another buddy of mine would come out and. And we would do like a memory of Elizabeth Reed and we might do hot Lana, uh, whipping post, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I would always just do the one part and I never really, I was like, well, he does the other part. I don't give a shit. And so I sat down and I, I learned all the parts and I realized like, man, I, I was always doing this one part wrong. I mean, the like, for instance, like in Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Reed, mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne's part's odd. It's not, it's not what you think it should be. Am I right? It's like when you really get under the hood, it's like, oh, I thought it would be more like this. I mean, Dickie part, Dickie's part, the main melody. Yeah. yeah. But Dwayne's part, you know, it's starting on that C and and it's just, right. but it's cool. It's cool as shit, but it's not what I was hearing all these years. Right. Right. No, I know what you mean. Um, uh, we really dive into those parts and get them, you know, exactly how they played them. And that's what you try to do. Right. Right. And sometimes I think my takeaway from learning a lot of that music was, uh, I don't, it's my like own guess, but I don't think they talked about their parts very much together. I think, I think they just kind of had an idea for a song and it's Barry Oakley too. The, the bass is playing, he's hitting a different bass note right. than the chord that they're hitting. Yeah. And then Greg's doing the sometimes another melody part, you know. Yeah, I don't think there was conversations about what are you playing here. I think they just, you know, they had an idea for a song. Maybe they got in a room, they started playing it, and they created. They thought, well, that yeah, that works. We, they created this magic that was yeah, it was church, and you don't question that. You just leave it the way it is. But but to go back and to dissect it, and um, I think you know. And you said it best. Any guitar player that loves this music, you start learning these these parts, whatever. And a lot of people don't play them the right way. You know, um, it's been uh, it's been a real deep dive to kind of get an understanding of, of how they actually played it. But when you do it right, it's immediately, oh yeah, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. Especially exactly. when you hear the 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 harmony together, those kind of moments, and in the context of the band. So. Yeah, it's it's fun. I'm always trying to. Um, it's always fun to dive into that music. It's it's unbelievable. It's it's magnificent, and, and also the, you know, improvising over that stuff. It, it's a fascinating thing because it's, you know, there's there's a there's a hint of jazz in there, but totally. any more and any more than a hint, it it's not the thing, and it's it's. I mean, to me, you know what I mean. It's it's, yeah. it, but it's like that. That purity of the real blues shit's got to be there. I mean, I, I was listening to, you know, there's a million different versions of Elizabeth Reed on all these various different live things that we've been talking about. You know, they're, yeah, uh, the various different nights you know, they released all the different nights of the Fillmore. You know, and and as you were saying early the, earlier, they never played the same thing twice, and so on and so forth. But you know, you just realized how, you know, which is something that I know you concentrate on. And Lord knows I've, you know, kind of, you know, my whole thing over the years has been the, the vibrato thing and the bending yeah, and the tone is like the absolute core of what's going on. And all the other stuff is just kind of icing on the cake. 
And so they're they're improvising. It's it's like it builds and so on and so forth. And and there is vocabulary in there, but it that intrinsic thing is more of the blues vibe as opposed to more of a a jazzier leap. Would you not agree with that? I mean, I think you can hear the influence of I think everybody in the band, that original band, had different influences. And you can right. hear, you can hear the mixture of all that coming together. You know, um JMO's talked about how he he really introduced the band to jazz. He brought right. You know, jazz the band and and Dwayne Allman's clearly coming from this like blues R and B background and uh, and Greg Allman's very soulful Bobby Blue Bland, uh, right. Little Milton. You can hear that, and then you know Dickie Betts with a very uh, Western swing, right? And, and country music and these different. You can hear it all kind of coming together. I think, um, and it's this beautiful melting pot of of American music. Is the best way to right. describe it. And I don't think they, I don't think they're intentionally trying to lean in. In it's just a mixture of, the, of all that, all those ingredients, you know. Right. Um, for me, playing that music, I think uh, one thing that I, you know, owe a lot to the, the Almond Brothers and a lot of the music that I love is that I, I always wanted to know who were they listening to, you know. Sure, absolutely. Yep. Going back, and I, I mean, I when I first got into the Almond Brothers in high school. Uh, that was also my introduction to kind of blue miles Davis, you know, right. and getting into that and listening, you know, hearing a song like dreams and wondering like, where does that come from? You know, and then, right. and then dive into the jazz stuff. But um, as a player, I think the more that I kind of studied the things that they were influenced by, you know, it, it sort of translates, like, I'm not trying to cop like what they were doing. What, sure. What, moment on you know i might tease a a a classic lick here and there sure and that's always fun to do but the actual feel of it you know a lot of it is is just coming from the right from the source so like what were they listening to and kind of studying that music and then just being yourself in the moment and right that's that's what it is really right 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 make that you know (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) but it's interesting how the when you're approaching it yeah. Um, uh, let's say you're doing a solo on Liz Reed. You know, obviously these guys respect the idea of, of going until you flushed out your ideas. Do you feel any pressure to make it longer than it needs to be? Or it's just purely what's happening in the moment of, I'm just going to go until it feels right. And no one's ever kind of looking over like, Hey, are you done yet? You know what I mean? I'm just curious yeah. as to th- th- that dynamic. No, I, I tend to really, I mean, I think you really get lost in those moments and, and you're, you're trying to make music. So you can't really put, I always, a joke I had a long time ago was um, when you were playing a guitar solo, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's as long as it needs to be and as loud right. as it needs to be. Right. Those two things. And you just, <laughs> there's no compromise. That's just is what it is. You know, um, I do hate the feeling of, and it happens occasionally of, when you're up against a hard curfew. Okay. You know, uh, it happened at Red Rocks. We're at Red Rocks and we're going to, we're starting whipping post and we've got seven minutes until the band gets fined. That kind of thing, you know, like. Got it. (laughs) That's a terrible feeling because it, it, you know, you want to play the song, you want to give it, you want to do it, but you, you know, you've got to like really kind of get there. You can't, you can't just, uh, find your way there. You've got to make it happen, you know, and, and get in and get out. So you, you're a little bit of a time constraint, but usually that's not the case. Usually you're just kind of playing to the moment. Yeah. 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 Awesome. 
It's a beautiful thing. So how much does the set list change uh, uh, with, with the, at least with the Almond family? I know with the other things, there's more original material involved, but with this yeah. particular thing. The revival? Uh, yeah, the revival. Uh, well, I, I mean, I did the first week of, of shows and the set list was completely different every night. So, Oh, okay. And I, I think that they were really kind of rehearse. I mean, looking back now, I think they were kind of uh, rehearsing the band or getting, <laughs> getting all this music, you know, like let's not wait you know, until other guests get here. Let's get through as much of this, uh, material as we can. Um, so that this, there were new songs coming in and out of the set list and it, it varied. The orders were varying a, a little bit. Um, but it was, it's fun. I like that. I love the challenge of you got to go up there and, and kind of make it happen. And, um, there's, there is a specific set for that moment and that night and that experience of that day. And, um, that's all part of it, you know? Yeah. 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 Awesome. That's the challenge of it. Right. Right. Cool. So what's happening, what's happening for the remainder of, uh, what happens in 2023? What's the outlook for what you got going on? Uh, for next year. Um, yeah. okay. Well, uh, things are kind of coming together. We're, uh, with Dwayne, uh, we have our new band. Uh, we'll be making an announcement about that pretty soon. Um, we're, we're doing a couple shows with government mule in Jamaica at, uh, nice. Island Exodus. And that's, that's like kind of middle of January. And uh, right now they're putting the final kind of touches on, on our uh, record release. That'll be hopefully, I think it'll be out by spring is, is the goal right now. So uh, we made a record this past year um, down at uh, Derek Trucks and Susan Tedeschi's house in, in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, we're super proud of it. And uh, we can't wait to get it out there. It's, it's our music, you know, and, and, we're really excited about it. Um, and you know, I guess we'll just be touring behind that as, as much as we possibly can. So in this day and age, are you guys putting it out yourself or are you affiliated with a label or, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of finalizing all all that. There's, there's a label, um, that's getting behind it. So yeah, that's a very valid question, you know, and, and we, we often, uh, talk about it, (laughs) right? you know? Um, but I, I think, what's on the table right now is what makes sense. And, uh, everybody's excited about it. And, uh, it's really just about, um, f- figuring out the best vehicle to get the music out there. And, 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 you know, if you get somebody that believes in it and then wants to push it, then that's, that's where, what you do, you know? Right. So, but it's not the, it's not the, uh, the world we grew up in of, uh, get a record. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, for for me, the wildest thing was it's like you know I remember the first time I got you know a record deal, which was now you know twenty some years ago. But yeah. you know, you're like, oh my god, I finally got signed. This is great. Yeah. This is a real label, and you, you know, you get a uh, publicist and all this kind of stuff. And the heart, what I didn't realize, I thought, well, I've got a record deal. They got a publicist. Now I'll be able to finally get a decent booking agent. And getting a booking a decent booking agent is way harder than getting a record deal. Right. Right. And that and that was a lesson that I learned the hard way. But um, yeah, all those different things of you know you think oh your record deal means this and this and this and da da da. It's like I always made the joke of I actually made money selling my records before I got a record deal. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you get a record deal. It's like congratulations, you just got a bank loan. You know? Right, <laughs> right. I mean, um, yeah. There's the obviously a publicist. 
a publicist is going to be super important. A booking agent is going to be super important. Right. Um, there's a lot of elements. I, I, fortunately, I kind of I kind of keep my distance from that that side of stuff, and I can just focus on playing music. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a different world we live in now, where uh, you know anybody can go out. You can, which is a beautiful thing. You can you can do whatever you you can put out your own music, however you right. Can, you right. Know? Um, and uh, you know the, the game's changed, but I think it's 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 amazing that you can do that. Right. There's a lot of, there's a lot, I mean, you know, a lot of times when we're, when I'm doing these podcast talks with various different folks and I, I mentioned, I'm like, well, what are you, what are your thoughts about how, how the game is now or how being a musician is now? And, and I typically say that we're kind of in the golden age of, of, you know, learning, certainly, you know, all the different things we would research about when we were younger, you know, trying to find records or we'd hear about someone. I'm like, man, I've, hey, have you ever heard this record? Oh my God, where would you get that? You have to go to some kind of record convention or send away. And now you just go on YouTube, you can find anything. Right. Um, and then also the idea of being able to have, you know, there's no art. Well, there are still our arbiters of taste, but you, if you cultivate your own following, you've got a direct contact with your your people, and you can release what you want, and you know, and and do the thing. Having said that, there it it seems like even though there is this wealth of information, there's just so much, and there and then on top of that, there's so much else to do, and just in terms of yes, in life in general, that there. <laughs> I mean, I to me, music is as important as is is, is as important as it ever was. But I don't think it's as important to a, 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 a majority of people as it used to be, simply because of how the world's changed. And even though you have the access to it, um, it's just—I mean, to me, I always—I always comment about. I, I'm always grateful that people find me, however they find me. You know what I mean? It's like totally. I'm grateful that people give a shit one way or the other. But by the same token, I'm also equally astounded about how they might be into one aspect of what you do but have no idea that you do any of this other stuff and it's all right in your hand and your phone. You could find, I mean, like back in the day, if I got into a guitar player, first time I heard who Albert Lee was, I'm like, who is this guy? Who is he played with? And you just start doing the deep dive. And it, it seems that even though people have access to all this information, it just, it just seems that they don't do it as much. Uh, it's, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that whole thing? Well, I mean, uh, as a musician, I, I think it's like the funny, uh, a uh, quote from that movie, Almost Famous. It's like, I got into this to avoid responsibility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a musician, all, you know, in, in today, sorry. That's all right. No worries. As a musician in today's world, you know, uh, there's a lot more right at your fingertips that you can do. It also means there's a lot more work for you to do that's unrelated to playing music. That's you correct. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've got to be kind of a, you know, uh, uh, you've got to ha have a strong marketing background and, and, you know, right. <laughs> and be able, uh, to have some sort of, uh, social media president presence, right. Personality. And you've got to be all these things that are, you know, you got to have a website, you got to make your own videos and you got right. like, yes. content, you know, and it's like, you know, in some ways that it kind of takes away from the, um, the time maybe you spend creatively just making music, you know? Right. Right. Um, but on the upside of that is that you can do anything you want. You can, you can make it all, um, you can do it the way you want. I think that was the, the biggest problem, you know, in days past people had a lot of frustration about 
the record label ripped me off or did this. It's like, well, right. now there's nobody to blame anymore. It's just, but you got to do all the work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Correct. Yep. So it's that's a of, fact. It's kind of a trade-off. Um, you know, I, I, whether we like it or not, it's the way the world is now. So um, it's an exciting time. It's different. I, I, I love the fact that we're not, it's like, like music, you know, it happens in this moment in time and that's what makes it so special, you know? Right. So now we're making music in a different way and we're getting it out there in a different way. And it, I can tell you right now, I have no idea what it will be in 20 years, but I bet it's different than it is now. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like you just live in the moment, you do the best you can and uh, try not to work too hard, but work hard. <laughs> right. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> well, listen, my friend, thank you so much for spending some time today and, and, uh, and talking with me here. This has been a blast and I certainly hope we get to hang out and do some playing again in the future. Definitely. It's been and fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll hopefully see you sooner than later. Sounds good, man. I'll see you. I'm going to find a way to get down to Summerfest some way, somehow. Perfecto. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely appreciate you caring and checking out these podcasts. We certainly have a good time doing them. Again, it's brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Don't be afraid to go to wildwoodguitars.com. Check out what they have going on. I actually go there every night and visit their new arrivals page. It's kind of a kind of an illness, really. And of course, our friends at Fishman Transducers, fishman.com, making all the greatest accoutrements for your stringed instruments. Stay tuned for more. Greg Koch here. Thanks so much for tuning in.